Um, last but not least, I, last week when we finished, we left with a cliffhanger. We left, we left a question unanswered in the room, and I think I've got the heart of the question. Uh, so it, I'll say what I think it was, and then if it's not, you can tell me. Uh, I think we left off asking, uh, what if you have friends whose lifestyle uh, and beliefs are in direct conflict kind of with God's will... And one of the instances was giving is, what if you have a friend who is involved in a gay lifestyle? And you want to be their friend, and yet now they're inviting you to functions, they're inviting you to things that are clearly um, within that lifestyle, they're within the intent of that lifestyle. So one of the examples I think that was given was, what if it was a concert, and the concert is clearly a concert that promotes that type of a lifestyle? What do you do now as a Christian friend? You know they're going to be put off if you say, look, I can't go and be part of that concert with you. Do you do that? Would that be disappointing to the Lord for you to go? How do you respond? Was that the question? Am I close? Okay, that was, yes? Okay, all right. So, what's the answer? You guys had a whole week to think about it. What's the answer? Um, I I think... We're probably going to get there, but... um, Okay. Well, I know we're going to get there eventually. Hmm. Um, But uh, later on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, um, Paul says, uh, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All Mm -hmm. things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And then later on near the end of the chapter in verse 31, he says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So... Does it glorify God, I think, is the question that we probably have to ask ourselves. And if we can answer yes, then yes. If we answer no, then no. You know, it's really interesting. I think it's fun that you looked ahead a little bit. The passage we're going to do this week is actually going to reinforce this question. For It's going to come back, and in some ways, it's going to answer it. The reason I'm willing to answer it a little bit right now is because it's not going to answer it fully. But where we're going, a similar thing is happening in the Corinthian church. Uh, there, there are... Christians who are being invited to go with their non-Christian friends to be involved in things that are pagan in lifestyle. And so now the question is, do I as a Christian go to that party? Do I go to that function that is pagan in style? It's a great question, isn't it? Yep. Um, I just said... I would not go, and I have a circumstance in my family like this, and okay. I do not back up what she believes okay. and what she wants to be. I can't. She's my daughter. Okay. So, and, and I love that you're living this and having to flesh this out in your life. What's the line? In other words, I mean, I, I've got to assume you would consider going to dinner with this person. So what, what becomes the line for you? Where, where do you say, okay, I, I'll do, I, I will associate on this level... But I now believe you've asked me to do something that I, I'm crossing a line of where I can go biblically as a Christian. What's, what's the line as best you understand? Okay, the line is I would not attend something that was gay. It okay. was I just would not attend it. A gay pride parade, whatever it might be. And there are different things that she goes to. And right. I will not go with her. Right. But I will go out to dinner with her. Yes, she's in my home. She's my daughter. I love her. Right. And God loves her, too. Right. So I have to look at it that way. So you're, you I'm, are living this. You are living yes, this sir. exact question. Yes, sir. I've been question. living it for, uh, I would say, close to 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this, and it's difficult. This, this is real life, isn't it? Yes, it this is. This is real life. Yes, sir. Yeah. It is. Okay. So some more. So isn't the line really 
where you're no longer supporting the person but supporting the activity, right? So if somebody's asking you to be their friend, that's different than asking you to support their lifestyle or to support their decisions. So I, I have friends that are gay, and they know where that line is. They know I'll go out to lunch with them, I'll hang out with them, I'll talk to them. I'm not going to do something that actively promotes that lifestyle or supports their choices. Uh, the same with friends, even heterosexual, that may choose to go to a strip club. I'll go out and hang out with you after work, but I'm not going to go there with okay, you. Okay, so I love your answer, and I, and I think it helps to define the line. And, and the line that I think that you kind of proposed was, I'll support the person, I will not support the lifestyle. Right? Is, is that what I got? I will not help promote the lifestyle. What would you do if you were in, if, if that friend of yours who was living within a gay lifestyle decided to get married? Would you attend the wedding? Isn't that interesting? See, that's a tough one, isn't it? Okay. Um, well, if I had the, if that friend came to me and decided to invite me to a concert, I would actually use that as an advantage if they already knew who I was because they're obviously my friend. I would say, okay, if I go to this, you promise that you're going to go with me to the next service. Mm. It's a risk I have to take, but as long as I don't stumble taking that risk, I take the, the risk in them coming to church with me. Okay, so you get, you get the different answer. You get the difference. It says, here's what I would do. I would offer a trade. I would say, hey, I will, I will go there with you, but you've got to promise then you're going to come to something with me of my asking on the other deal. And guys, this is a legitimate question because uh, how, how many of you got kids? Okay. How many of you have teenage kids? Okay. How many of your teenage kids have said to you, I want to go to the party this weekend? I'm not going to do what the rest of the kids are doing, and I'll be a witness by my abstinence. They tried that one, huh? Uh, what, what did you say to them after they picked themselves up off the ground? Okay, all right. But you, get, you, get, you guys, you get, you get this as the conversation. And I just, I promise you, you'll have this conversation. And here's the thing, is that as our culture continues to struggle with these issues. And as some of these issues become more and more front and center, you and I as believers are going to get called on over and over and over and over and over again to answer this question. What do I do? What do I do when I have a friend who is living in a manner that isn't pleasing to God? And now I've been invited to a place where there's going to be a lot of activity going on in that place. That's probably not pleasing to God. What do I do in that moment? How do I respond as a... What's the best way to faithfully carry the light of Jesus and yet not come across as endorsing something that's unbiblical? And you and I are going to live in this tension over and over and over again as Christians. Um, Well, I believe... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, You can't sacrifice your Christian morals. I mean, just like... When, when you, I mean, you can let them know you love them and you're there for them, but that's not something that you stand for or believe in or you're going to sacrifice your Christian morals for. They, just like um, serving God is, is not an option. It's something that you feel to do. You, you have that desire, that love. And I think that by you 
even going, participating. I don't. It doesn't matter if you just sit there. You're a participant, and so to me, you're going against supposedly your Christian morals or your morals against it, even just going. So I don't. I don't see how you can do that if you don't stand for that. All right. So. I was just wanted to share a story uh, at uh, a former job that I work with. Um, it were it's uh, in the art industry, so there were a lot of homosexuals in the workplace itself. And the subject came up. We were at lunch around the table, and the subject came up of gay marriage. And the gentleman who brought it up was actively homosexual. And I sat and I listened to the conversation, and he was for it. And finally, I opened my mouth and I said, "I'm sorry. I am against it." And all hell broke loose, to put it lightly. Um, I was called a bigot. I was called intolerant um, because I took a stand. And what shocked me the most, oh, Pastor Lynn, he said, I thought by you being silent, you condoned it. That was like the biggest conviction for me because it's it's such a a fine line we walk. If we're silent, they take it as condoning. Do you know what I mean? If you don't verbally take or stand they take it as condoning and it's kind of it's a it's a it's amazing and here's the other part of it and here's the here's the dilemma that i think we all live with because you've already expressed it and that is when i verbalize it then i'm often perceived as being judgmental that i'm i'm bigoted i'm i'm angry i'm closed-minded closed-hearted so that this is the and this is why guys this is hard right because at the end of the day you and i want to stand for truth but we're not necessarily trying to throw the person away and yet they potentially feel thrown away. How, how do we do this? How do we, and, and here's the deal. And here's, here's the thing you, you need to hear in the deal is that depending on the individual that you and I are dealing with, they're going to feel thrown away or feel angry or frustrated with us based on their personality. So I can't necessarily say based on their personality, I'm going to do it this way somewhere I've got to come to a biblical answer, a biblical stance that says, here's how I'm going to respond to that moment with as much grace, as much kindness, as goodness I can. And then I've got to let the chips fall. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to let it be what it is. Okay. So here, here's what I'm going to do. Let's go through. I'm, I'm going to take a little different tack. Let's let that sit because the passage is going to get us there and then we're going to unpack this. Okay. It's going to, I think it's going to help us get to this uh, answer tonight. And it's just great timing that it got asked. Okay. So here we go. It's first Corinthians chapter 10. Let's start in uh, verse one. Um, here we go. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse one. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. Now, when he says that, who is he most specifically addressing? If he says, our forefathers were all under the cloud, they all passed through the sea to Jews. Okay? So the cloud is what? Okay, well, what, what cloud is he referring to? The cloud by day and the fire by night. Okay, so remember when, the, of remember when the Jews are leaving Egypt? And God gives them a cloud by day to follow and a pillar of fire by night to follow so they know they're going the right direction. What's the sea that he's talking about them having passed through? Red Sea. Remember Moses is there. Actually, it was Charleston Heston. Um, and he, you know, he puts up the stick and, and, you know, it all parted. And so he's saying, hey, all right, all right, 
And so get this, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What, what in the world? Baptized into the cloud. What? Baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. What does that mean? Isn't that weird? What does the word baptize mean? Anybody know? What does the word baptize actually mean? We, we've made baptize this really, really mystical word. It's, it's not a mystical word. I believe the Greek word baptizo means fully immersed. Yeah, baptizo is actually a Greek word, and it simply means put underneath. It means to dip underneath, to cover over. And here's the thing you just need to hear out loud, guys. You and I should have never had the word baptize in the Bible. We should have never had that word. The truth is, when, when you and I begin to read the story of John the Baptist, it should have been John the Dunker. That's, that's, that's how it should have read, because that's what the word means. It means to dunk. And the only reason that you and I have the word baptize in the Bible is because the Bible is translated from Greek into English about 12, 1300 years after this. And by then, there's already become religious tradition that's already in conflict with the idea of dunking. And so in order not to frustrate people who are already living in traditions that contradict Scripture, the Bible scholars of the day, and it's deeply unfortunate, but the Bible scholars of the day took a scaredy-cat way out. They took, they took a chicken's way out. And instead of translating that word like they did every single word leading up to it and every single word out after it, here's what they did. They said, that'll get us in trouble. We'll have a whole bunch of denominations that are mad at us if we say, John the dunker and Jesus went to the river and got dunked. And so here's what they did. They took the Greek word baptizo, which means dunk, and they took the O off the end, put an E in its place and Englishized it created a brand new word called baptize. It's dunk. Okay? So when you get back to the passage and when you're here and as you're reading through, and they all passed through the sea and they were all baptized into Moses, into the cloud, into the sea. And it's just this idea that they were taken inside. They were brought into. They were completely part of this thing. Okay? Dunked in and under. They were brought in. They, they were right in the middle. Okay? And really what he's saying in this moment is they were right in the middle of everything that God was doing. I mean, if you were a part of the children of Israel, you, you were there when the cloud was going on. You were there with the pillar of fire. You were there walking through. You were right in the middle of everything that was going on and of what God was doing. You were immersed in what God was doing in that moment. You were baptized in it. Okay. Baptized into Moses, the cloud and the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. What was the spiritual food that they were eating in the wilderness? Manna and quails. Okay, so remember that? Manna and quails. They all drank the same spiritual drink. What's that talking about? Water. Where'd they get the water? Remember, Moses struck the rock. They got the water. Okay, so here's what he's saying. So look, remember our forefathers. They were in the thick of God doing what he was doing. I mean, they were in the thick of it. They, they were walking through the Red Sea. There was a pillar of fire. There was cloud. They, they were drinking water from a rock. They, 
I mean, they were in the thick of what God was doing. Okay, that's what he's setting up uh, in this part of the conversation. Okay. They drank from the same spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock, and here's an interesting thing, that rock was Christ. Isn't that an interesting phrase? That rock was Christ. What do you think it means by that? It was a rock. What do you think he means when he says the rock was Christ? Those things that we see are a shadow of the things to come. So that which bring forth living water is yeah. Jesus Christ. So it was a shadow. And here's the interesting. Stop thinking about this. Remember the, remember the rock that, mowed, that, that, that gave water? It gave water after it was what? Struck. And then it gave life-giving water to everybody around. And then he says, and it was Christ who gave life-giving water after he was struck. Isn't that interesting? See, the, the interesting part of the Old Testament is, is that over and over and over and over again, they're given pictures to set up and get their hearts ready for what God will eventually do. They were supposed to recognize the Messiah because they had shadows to prepare them to see it when it came. And they missed it. They missed it when the moment here we go. They drank from the spiritual thing was a rock. Okay. So here, let's, let's review this again. They were there. They were there for the pillar. They were there for the cloud. They were there walking through the Red Sea. They were there catching all those quail. They were there when the manna showed up on the ground. They were there when the rock gave all the water. They were there. They were in the middle of everything God was doing. And then get the, get verse five. You ready? Nevertheless, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. What? No, no, no. God, these are your people. These are the children. You just let them out of the promised land. I mean, there's like miracles going on all over the place, all around. How in the world could they be in the middle of all that blessing, all that you were doing, all going, and, and you're going, and nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Isn't that interesting? Why? Why was God not pleased with most of them? Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Okay. Now these things, verse 6, occurred as an example to keep us from settling our hearts on evil things as they did. Okay. Because they were still complaining and they were doubting him. Okay. They were still complaining while they were there. Okay. And what did they do the moment Moses went up on the mountain and was gone for a little while? They created their own God. And began to worship false idols. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So he says, guys, guys, you've got to be careful. He says, you've got to be careful that you're not sitting in church and watching God do all sorts of wonderful things and, and people's lives being changed and all sorts of stuff. And, and in the midst of all that, that God nevertheless would not be pleased with you. Because in the middle of that, your heart... Your heart would not be right. And what did he say was the number one issue of their hearts? Idols. Idols. And remember we talked a little bit last week about this idea of the things that we make idols in our lives. The things that we choose to love more than we love God. That if it came down and we said, if you, God, if you required that, if you said, I have to give that up. If I have to give up that boyfriend, if I had to give up my house, if I had to give up my job. Don't ask me that one, God, because... I wouldn't choose you 
And any time I have to give that answer, I've made an idol. And he said, be careful, be careful, be careful that you're not a Christian sitting in the midst of everything that God is doing, in the midst of just amazing stuff. And really, you're still worshiping idols in your heart. That you would still choose to love something like our forefathers, he says. Here, here, here. Isn't it interesting that these people, think about this. This generation of people had seen unbelievable, undeniable. I mean, un, I mean, if you've got a pillar that goes in front of you every day, it's kind of an obvious miracle. If every night this huge pillar of flame appears... It's a miracle, right? I mean, you kind of would have to go... The thing is, if, if you go out for food in the morning and bazillions of quail come flying in for your breakfast, you'd, you'd have to go, that's probably a miracle. You go out and you gather manna, and you can't gather enough manna. In other words, you, here comes the Egyptian army and the Red Sea parts. You walk across and the Red Sea closes in, kills the most powerful army in the world. That would probably qualify as a miracle. Isn't it interesting that those people struggle to have faith in God? Isn't that interesting? Because how many times have you just said in your heart, Hey God, if you would just simply do this, I would believe in you the rest of my life. If, if you'd give me that boyfriend, I'd believe in you the rest of my life. If you could get me a 2.9% finance rate, I would believe in you the, the rest of my life. If, if you could get me the job transfer, if I... I Isn't it interesting that this group of people living in just a cornucopia, just a plethora of miracles, turn so quickly from God? How's that possible? How is that? How is that? Doesn't that just seem improbable? How do you think that happens? Um, when I take an analogy of a normal parent and a normal child, when a child is used to their parent giving them everything, they don't see anything special about the parent, so they take uh, the parent for granted. So I think the children of Israel, they took God for granted. They didn't see his miracles as what they felt obligated. They felt that God was supposed to do it for them. Mm. So when other, when other people thought it was a miracle... When other uh, nations were shaken by what was happening, the Israelites, their hearts were so hardened, they could not see what was going on because they thought that God is there at their beck and call no Hmm. matter what. Did you you hear that? Isn't that interesting? I mean, here they are seeing the most amazing, 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 amazing miracles, and the first moment God doesn't do what they want him to do next, they're done with him. Think about this. In the ministry of Jesus, how many times did Jesus, they said to you, hey, do do another miracle. You know, do another magic trick for us. And then we'll believe. Remember, how many times did they say, and then we'll believe. And every time they said, and then we'll believe. If you do a miracle, Jesus, then we'll believe. How many times did Jesus do a miracle after they said that? Anybody know? Never. 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 Never, when there was a moment when someone said, look, Jesus, look, just turn some water into wine. Just heal somebody. Just do that, and then we'll believe. Think about this. How many times did Jesus walk by people who were lame? How many times did he go to pools where there were the sick laying there and healed one and did not heal the others? 
Why? He could have healed them all. Why? And Jesus gives the answer. Every time they said to him, look, Jesus, heal somebody and then we'll believe. And Jesus' answer was always consistent with simply this. Believe me for my words. Because my words are truth. See, believe me because what I tell you is true and my words are from God. Because here's the deal. There's going to come a moment in your life when you're going to want me to do the next magic trick for you. You're going to want me to heal your grandmother or you're going to want me to put $100 in your mailbox or your, whatever it is. You're going, to, you're going to want me to make your flat tire, get you to the next, whatever that thing is. And when I don't come through with the magic trick, you'll be done with me. I'll, I'll be a bad God. Your faith will be gone because I apparently was unable And he said, well, we're just not going to have that relationship. I, I'm, I'm not your genie. And we're not going to do this. And I don't want you to believe me for the miracle's sake. I want you to believe me because what I told you about God and what I told you about a cross and what I told you about dying for sin was true. Believe me for that. Whether I do your magic trick or not, whether I do a miracle or not, believe me for the truth. And isn't it interesting that a generation that saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, the moment God didn't behave the way they, they were done with him. And they turned immediately to false idols because maybe the idol can do the magic trick. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Uh, perhaps also, too, they thought, you know, by turning to an idol, it would offer them an easier way out. Because even in the midst of all those miracles, um, they, it wasn't easy, the path that they were on. You know, they sure. had Pharaoh's army on their tail. They probably walked through mud across that whole sea, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was probably a real difficult time. You know, it wasn't easy. I think it's a great point. Hey, when, when do I know that you have faith? When do I know that you are in for the count? Is it when everything's going the way you want and life is coming up? Is that when I know you're in? When do I know you've got faith? Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to comment what you're talking about, the children of Israel. I think it's, with the children of Israel, it's kind of like uh, when you're a baby Christian and you think you can bargain with God and mm. say, well, if you do this for me, God, I will believe in you. And when we become Christians, we're baby Christians, we think we can bargain with God and instead of, we're, we're, we're more based in our will instead of God's will. Mm-hmm. You know, God, if you give me this promotion at work, I'll believe in you. Yeah. But when you really become, you know, you get older and more mature as a Christian, you start saying, you know, God, if that's your will, then let your will be done. Mm. And that's, you know, that's your blessings always. Regardless, you're always blessed. Mm. So. so you know that you're really in the this when what you're praying for doesn't happen, when your loved one doesn't survive. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Do Aaron and Holly McRae have faith? Do Aaron and Holly McRae have faith? How do you know that? Because when God has not done what Aaron and Holly would want God to do, He's still God. They're still in. See, they're not believing Him for the miracle's sake. They're believing in him because he's true. Whether he behaves the way they want to or whether he does the magic trick or not, 
He's God. And that's exactly what the people say. Look, 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 look. Be careful that we're not like our forefathers. Be careful we don't do this. Because they were in as long as God was performing and as long as God was obeying and as long as God was doing what God, they wanted God to do. But the minute God let them down, the minute Moses was gone a little while and they got scared, man, they were off to the next idol. Because this was, this was a magic show for them. And the warning comes, and it's, it's a legitimate thing to you. And it says, guys, 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 you can't be in this just as long as God gets you the next promotion and just as long as your marriage is going okay and just as long as your kids aren't rebelling. You can't. <laughs> You'll know. Your friends will know. Your family will know that you're in when God doesn't do the next trick. When, when everything that's happening is exactly the opposite of what you would have hoped, and in that moment you say, He is God, and He is Lord, and I will follow Him anyways. Anyways. Then you're in. Okay? Yep. Outside of living that as an example to other people, how would you to either baby Christians or non-believers, explain that to them when something happens in their lives. How can we witness that to them and explain to them, you know, you have a child who's sick. Mm -hmm. God is still God. Mm -hmm. I think you have to say it. And then I think you have to be willing to live it in front of them. And I think you have to be willing to cry with them when they're crying. And I think you have to be willing to be sad when they're sad. And then you have to whisper in their ears, God is still God. God is still God. There's this amazing passage in Psalm chapter 13 where um, the psalmist, it may be David, we don't know, I don't think for sure, Psalm 13, but uh, the psalmist is crying out and saying, okay, God, so how long does life stink? How long do my enemies keep beating me? How long does everything come up wrong? How long are you going to be silent? How long do I wait for you to show up? part about Psalm 13 and is that then he finishes and says but you're still God even when you're silent even when my enemy is winning you're God and that's, that's where we all have to get to to your question a little bit I think there are times in our lives when God doesn't take the baby Christian through that sometimes uh, matter of fact, the passage we're going to get to, uh, chapter, or verse 13, is going to say, God will not bring anything into someone's life they cannot bear without his help. It's going to say that tonight. But I think, guys, it's possible, and I just want you to consider this, that it's possible sometimes God allows you and me to go through the crud so that the baby Christian next to us can watch. See, I, I, here's the thing. I don't, I don't know... In, 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 we're talking a little bit about Aaron and Holly. I don't know what God is teaching Aaron and Holly through this. I don't know. i, I, I got to believe amazing stuff. But isn't it true that he's teaching you and me a whole bunch of stuff watching? I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I can't tell you how encouraged that. We're talking a 30-something-year-old couple living this moment that well. Man. Man. I, I hope I would do it. I hope we got a bunch of 20-year-olds in our church going, man, I hope I would do it. hope we got a lot of 40-year-olds in our church going, I hope I would do it. 
I say, I think you and I are learning a ton watching them. And sometimes, sometimes he does ask the Christian next to the unbeliever or next to the baby Christian to live with the non-believer the baby Christian can't. But sometimes he asks the baby Christian to do it. Sometimes. And I, I can't, I can't give, here's the deal. <clears throat> here's why your question's impossible. And then we'll move on. When somebody is in the middle of yuck, and you and I come and go, God works all things for the good of them that love him, according to his purpose. In the middle of yuck, don't you just want to hit a person for saying that to you? You just want to go, I know that, but don't say it to me. I mean, don't you? God's got a plan. That's why I didn't want to answer my door. I didn't want to hear you say that. Because it, it, it's... But here's what you need to know. You have to know that. And you have to believe that truth with all of your heart before the problem comes. You do. Because if you don't, the problem's going to blow you to shreds. You can't be trying to figure out, do I really believe that God is in control? And do I really believe that God works everything for his good? And do I really believe that God's have a plan while my kid is laying sick in the hospital? You can't be figuring that out in that moment. You better already know what you believe that answer is. Because if you wait till then to decide if you believe, you are going to be upside down in your faith. So the reality is, you don't do anyone a whole lot of good saying that in the middle of the fire. You just don't, because if they haven't already figured that one out, then, then they're just going to punch you in the nose. Um, I think it's much better. it's much better in the fire to say to someone, God knows he is not missing the moment and he cares. And I don't know why. I don't know what he's doing. But you and I serve a God that does not waste pain. And then that what scripture says, you and I serve a God who never wastes pain. I can say that to someone who's hurting. I don't know why. I don't know. But you and I serve a God who doesn't waste pain. You better believe that he works all things for good before the pain. You better have that one done. Okay, all right, let's keep going. Where are we at on time? Oh, okay, so we're going to cruise because I want to get I want to get to the, that other part. All right, so here we go. Um, what, what, what? Huh? Six. Okay. These things occurred as an example to keep us... From setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Okay, we've already talked about that a little bit. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in pagan revelry. They sh- that we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, you ready for this? 23,000 of them died. The people who saw the miracles. The people who walked across the Red Sea. The people who saw... God, 23,000 of them in discipline died because the set, oh, they were believing God for the miracle and the minute God didn't perform, they were done with God and God was done with them. Okay. Verse 9, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed and destroyed by the angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. 
So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And then this verse that most of us in the room probably are familiar with and know. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that which you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out. And that's where we always stop, right? A way out. What's the rest of the phrase say? So that you can stand up under it. See, we go, whoa, whoa, God's going to provide a way out. Woo! No, no, so that you can stand up under it. So that in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of that, you can still overcome. Now, here's the deal. There are some temptations that you and I are supposed to flee. Doesn't Scripture say, flee what? Sexual immorality. Remember Joseph when he's getting tempted by Potiphar's wife. And in the midst of being tempted, remember what Joseph does? What does he do? Runs. Runs. Okay? Matter of fact, he runs so much that you know, he like slips out of his coat. And she's left with the coat behind. Why do you think Joseph does that? Why in the world does Joseph run? I mean, she was going to tackle him? She was going to like have her way with him right there? Potiphar's wife was 350 pounds of sheer sinew and muscle and was going to... Re- you know, what, what's happening? What's happening in that moment? I think he's tempted out of his mind. I think he is tempted. I think she is darn good looking. I, I think he's had enough time of God being silent and life being rough. And what she's saying sounds pretty good. And he is fleeing. He is fleeing because the, the answer is... Get out, get out, get out. And Joseph says in his heart, if I stay here any longer, I'm in trouble. And he flees. And there are moments in our life where you and I have got to say, look, this temptation is right in my wheelhouse. Okay. Every one of us, guys, every one of us has a ladder into hell. You know what I mean when I say that? Every one of us has a favorite flavor of sin. And if you're going to blow your life to shreds, it's probably that sin or that couple of sins that's the ones that are going to sink you. Okay? And your flavor is probably or likely different than mine, but we, some of us have its lust, some of us it's bitterness, some of us it's gossip, some of us it's pride, some of us it's greed. But if we were being really, really honest, every one of us has our ladder into hell. We have that sin that just pulls at us. And we find ourselves constantly getting back in the ditch with that one. That is the sin which most likely you will spend your entire life fleeing. Because when you sit in the room with that sin, when you're in proximity of that sin, you sweat bullets of temptation. You sit there going, oh. I want to gossip so bad right now. Run! Just get up and leave. All your girlfriends are going, what are you doing? Bathroom break. You know, whatever you got to do. Just just flee. Because if you stay, you and I both know, you're going to open your, you're going to, right? It's just going to happen. If you stay another minute, blip, blip, flee. It's not my sin. I could sit in the same table. I'd be all right. 
can I just confess to you, man, you do, do not put me on a new car parking lot. I, I am a normal, rational human being. I, I don't need a car. I don't need a car. But you walk me onto a new car. I got to have one. And it's probably the most expensive one in the lot. And I can't live until I sign the papers. So I flee new car parking lots. And you'll probably have that. But isn't it interesting in this passage it says, most of the time, God gives you and me the strength to stand up under it. That there's actually very often more learned by living through the temptation than necessarily running away from the temptation. From looking it in the eye and slaying it. Just saying, no, you will have no part of me and I will put you to death. I'll die to this. How, how do you die to a temptation? Now, some of you never will. And you just heard me say, some will be our ladder in hell. But how do you die to a temptation? How do you do that? An interesting question. I think when you die to a temptation, you just, you eventually give into it. Um, and spiritually, uh, you die. All your your Christian values, you give up and you spiritually die to that temptation. you just completely give in. So Scripture talks about this idea of dying to myself, of dying to sin and beginning to live unto Jesus. So what, what, do, I, what do I do with, how, what, what, is that, what does that look like? I think possibly it would be <clears throat> giving it totally over to God, hmm. laying it at his feet and say, this is not me anymore. This is, you take care of this for hmm. me. I think I think it is. I think I think you and I you and I will find things like gossip, like pride, things in our life. We'll just say, God, I, I, I gotta I gotta somehow get myself to the cross and just say, Look, I, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm I'm just done I'm just done. I I don't want this in my life anymore. I'm done. If if you were really, really, really struggling with pride, what are some of the things you do when you're really, really proud? What do you, what do, you do when you're proud? You boast. You brag. You've you got to be sure, hey, you know, I, I ran faster than you. <laughs> oh, you got promoted in a year? I got promoted in six months. Right? Isn't that what we do? If you were really, really struggling with pride and if you wanted to slay that sin, I think you lay it at the cross. What, what, what else would you do to slay that sin? Huh? Flee. Flee. Flee from it. Let's say it's not an overwhelming... This is one of those, I'm going to bear up under sins. This is one of those sins that I'm going to bring in captivity to Jesus Christ. But I struggle with pride. I have to admit it's one of the things I usually used to uh, struggle with because I will say I'm better than you and stuff like that. Uh, what I learned is um, whenever someone will come and tell me, oh, I got a, a B, and even if I got an A, I will not tell them I got an A. I'll tell them, oh, congratulations. I will acknowledge what they've done, 
and avoid saying what I have done. So I started concentrating on them. And I started saying, uh, instead of everything, it's like my own uh, personal stuff. I'll say, let all the glory and honor go back to God. So I started giving God all the glory rather than me because that's mm. one of the things I used to struggle with and I still struggle with right now. It doesn't stop, but it's an ongoing process day by day. Acknowledging the other person and acknowledging it's not you, it is God who's given you the capability and the favor. Okay. I would suggest asking for help when you have a lot of pride. You think you can do it all by yourself. Okay. I think, I think one of the most powerful things you can do, guys, with sin, call it in the light. You, you want one of the hardest things to do if you've got pride? Admit you're proud. Because you know what? There, there's not one person out there with pride who thinks they're proud. They don't. They just go, no, it's, it's healthy self-esteem. That's what they think. It's selfie health. It just is. I, I do happen to be better than everybody else. I just, you know, I just, I have an honest perspective of my value versus yours. And it is what it is. And one of the most powerful ways to slay it is just call it what it is. To, to say to your friends, hey guys, I, I just want to acknowledge you guys. I struggle with pride. I, I find myself in conversations wanting to one-up you guys. And I just, I just want to say what it is out loud. And I just want, I, I want to ask you guys as my friends to call me on it if I do that. When you're around, just go, ah, 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 you know, and I'll, I'll know what you're doing. You know, you're calling me on my pride. One, one of those powerful things you and I do with sin is put it out there and just say, I want you to know I'm struggling with this. Would you watch me in this? Because it's, 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 it's an area I'm, I'm having, I'm trying to bring under control of Christ. Okay. What are we doing on time? Okay. Three minutes. All right. All right. All right. Okay, let's go real quick. Uh, verse 14. Uh, let's see how far we can get on this question. All right, so here, remember what we asked. What do you do? You've been invited to go somewhere, and, and maybe it's not the right place, and how, how do I respond? Here we go. Here's our answer. Verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? What is he talking about? The cup of thanksgiving we give thanks participation in Christ. What's that? What is that? Huh? Communion. It's communion. Okay? So, uh, is not the cup of participation in the blood of Christ, and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? So here's what he's saying. Look, look, look. There's so much good stuff here. Can we, can we do this next week? All right. Um... There is good stuff. All right, we'll, I, I promise we'll do it next week. Okay, I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's just, it's so much good stuff here. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. <laughs> hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, a chance just to get in your word and to talk and to wrestle and try to figure out what you'd have us do. God, help us uh, next week come back and tackle this issue because it's just such a big issue. I, we're going to live with this, God, over and over and over again as believers. So uh, help us to have soft hearts as we come back next week to talk about it and that our, our lives would be willing to get in alignment and be obedient on this, not to do what's popular, not to do what's easy, uh, to do that which brings the greatest amount of glory 
to the name of Jesus Christ. God be with us this week. Help us to serve you well. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys.